Hello, everybody. I'm Rob Riches. And I'm Cheryl Riches. And this is our podcast. Dead or Survive. <laughs> Just like we practiced. <laughs> we're getting good at that. That's about the only part we're getting good at. <laughs> it's something. From here on out, guys, it just goes downhill. That's all we're good at. We practice those three little things. So if you're uh, just joining us for the first time, why did you skip to number six? Yeah, the other ones were like really good too. Uh, except for, you know, maybe... Maybe number two. And one. <laughs> skip those two. Start at number three. <laughs> That's when we got our shit together. Um, so yeah, so if you're just joining us, um, our podcast is about uh yin and yang so what we do is uh, my wife the ever optimistic does a survival story uh some people that live through some pure, uh, pretty serious stuff and then i come back with the darwin awards uh so yeah i'm actually gonna dedicate my section my last four paragraphs to jeff robillard oh boy yeah so that's right jeff has uh, been listening to us he's Sharing it with everybody on his Facebook page, I'm sure. If you're listening this in the morning on the way to work, Jeffrey. (laughs) I'm sure he's done that. Everyone. However, um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he uh, he inspired my Darwin Award story. So, Jeff, when we get there, it's not about him. He's not dead. Why would you want Jeff dead? True. Oh I my God, I Jeff! I she does she wants you dead. Apparently, I, I don't want you dead. I was like a near miss, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Then it wouldn't be a Darwin Award. Thinking. There's a surprise. How much of that bottle of wine's left? Half a bottle. <laughs> uh, yeah, this might get a little sloppy too. By the way, guys, if you don't know, we are factory workers. We are on switch over, and uh, it's uh, been a long day. We've been out all weekend helping uh, friends, uh, one of which we like, one that we don't. But <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I like them both. Well, one's really nice. The other one's meh. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) they know who they are. Um, Yeah, so it's a switch over. It's like 12, 30, 1 o'clock because we were running around helping out other friends, doing our normal stuff. And then we went, oh, we have a podcast to do, so we should probably get that up and loaded. So please stick with us. My wife is going to be horrible. She's a bottle and a half in. I think I'm getting a little better. A, a little bit. A little, a little better. If you compare like episode one to episode five, there's improvement. Yeah, you drink more wine before the <laughs> yes, episode. I found the key. You should see her side wine. of the desk, guys. Her, her side wine. of the desk has wine, wine bottles, <laughs> beer bottles. It's And then mine has apple juice. And I'm the fat one. So figure that shit out. <laughs> All right. So let's go over our checklist. Got your alcohol? Sure do. Got your story? Yep. Okay, let her rip, potato chip. Okay, this week I'm going to be talking about Juliana Kopke. Kopke? Kopke. Oh, Kopke. Oh, my God. (laughs) She's still alive. Like, you should probably watch what you're saying. She'll come after you. Lawyers and such. (laughs) Kopke. Got it. That's a beautiful name. <laughs> okay, so I she, think I'm going to get a patch and put on my my motorcycle vest that says "I love Kopke." Uh, <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> okay, so Juliana was born in 1954 in Lima, Peru. 
And her mother, Maria, was an ornithologist, so a girl after my own heart. She what the hell is an ornithologist? A bird expert. So she's like a doctorate in birds. What do you even do with that? Well, she studies them. She was in Peru. She's studying them. And it's the 50s. They didn't even know a whole lot about the rainforest at that point. So this is, that's what she was doing. Okay. Her father, Hans, was a biologist. And I'm going to talk about Hans for a minute because she credits Hans with, uh, Juliana credits Hans with a lot of her, like, go and get her kind of stuff. Because when he was... Um, in 1948, he was offered a job in Peru as uh, he was some. He was like the guy at the Natural History of Museum. He was offered a job there in Peru, like a curator. I don't. I, I think I have it written here. I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it's 1948, so the war is just ending, and they're living in Germany at the time. So not real great time for Germans, right? Which war? 1958? 1948. Oh, sorry. I thought you said 58. I'm really paying attention. Yeah. So he has a difficult time getting to Peru to take this job. And there's no passports and there's no visas for Germans. So for him to get across the Atlantic to Peru, he has to, like, sneak his way over there. So what he does is he travels on foot across several mountain ranges and he gets on a freighter. He ends up, uh, at one point, he gets caught and arrested, and he spent some time in an Italian prison camp. But he eventually stows away on a cargo ship that's headed for Uruguay by burrowing into a pile of rock salt. Yeah, that can't be fun, right? Sitting in rock salt. I can't, I don't think that's a short trip either. Well, no, you're crossing an ocean. Right. So, anyways, when he finally... And I'm sure the ships back there weren't real fast. No. I'm, probably, I'm thinking... probably a few weeks. I'm thinking it was probably, like, really terrible. But that's how badly he wanted out of Germany, I suppose. So when he finally reaches the museum two years later, surprise, the position's already filled. What? They didn't hold it for him? (laughs) But they did end up hiring him on, and he managed the ichthyology department. The what? (laughs) Yeah, I had to look it up. Ichthyology, if I'm saying that right, I hope I am. Again, like I say shit wrong all the time. So anyways, um, it's like specializing in fish. So he's studying in fish. He's a biologist of fish. Okay. Yeah. Why can't they say a fish doctor? Right. Okay. (laughs) He's a fish doctor. Carry on. We have a fish doctor and a bird doctor. Right. Yeah. Good. We're really rounded. We have the sea and the sky. So he sends for Maria. Oh, that was poetic. Look at you. (laughs) He sends for Maria, and she just gets on a steamer and comes over and arrives in 1950, easy peasy. And she was also hired at the museum, and she ran the ornithology department. Bird doctor. Right. Bird doctor. So when when she was 14, her parents moved to establish a research station in the middle of the Amazon rainforest called Panguana. They just basically cleared a spot in the Amazon and like build a shelter. And this became a research station right now. Today it's like renowned, but back in the day when 14 year old Juliana was moving in there, it was just this like beautiful piece of land with flowers and wildlife and everything around her. 
And she was kind of living my dream, I think. This is starting to sound like the opening to Tarzan. <laughs> it actually, yeah, that sounds about right. So while she's there, she's learning all about the jungles and the dangers and how to remain safe. And her parents were homeschooling her and they're doc. They've got their doctorate. So it's not like they know what they're talking about. It's not like they're dumb, right? So, but the educa educational authorities didn't approve. I think like whatever she was learning there, in the middle of the jungle, surrounded by scientists, so it was probably much more valuable than anything she would have learned in a traditional school. But nonetheless, her parents shipped her back to um, Lima to finish her schooling and take her exams. So at 17 years old, she graduates right before Christmas in 1971, and her mother comes to collect her and bring her back to Panguana. And they had a flight scheduled on December 20th, but Juliana begged her mother to stay so she could go to her graduation ceremony and her prom on December 23rd. Like, what 17-year-old girl doesn't want to do that, right? Yes, I guess. <laughs> I'm not a 17-year-old girl, but I did enjoy prom. <laughs> so her, she begs and pleads with her mom, and her mom finally agrees and cancels their flight that they had booked for the 20th. But the only flight that they had left to get back home before Christmas to be with their father was on December 24th with a company called Lanza. Okay. Okay. If that airplane crashes, I hope they're out of business because otherwise we're getting sued. We might get sued. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> if anybody's ever listening to ramblings of an idiot, yeah. my son brings up names of things all the time. <laughs> So anyways, an airline. No, Lanza. <laughs> they need to own this ship. They're known for their poor safety record. In fact, they'd already lost two planes in crashes. And Hans had warned Maria, don't book a flight with that company. But Maria thought, we'll be fine. What, like, what's the chances that we won't be fine, right? What, would you think that I'm not going to book a flight with this company because they might crash? Yes. <laughs> yes. If they had two planes that crashed, yes, I'm not booked. You've met me, right? You've crashed one car. I don't let you drive anymore. You think I'm going to get into an airplane? Yeah. Well, they did. So on Christmas Eve, they get onto the 86 passenger plane. So it's just a little plane on a flight that's less than an hour. Those are worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are worse. But it's only about a 20, uh, it's less than an hour. The, the flight's less than an hour, but it's only about 25 minutes in when they fly into this like huge thunderstorm. Interesting story. My wife went to college to be an airplane um, pilot. Yeah, to be a pilot, an airplane pilot. I've, yeah, no, yeah, yeah airplane. Yeah. I guess yeah. you could have been a helicopter. It wasn't a helicopter. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and she almost took out a sign like a McDonald's sign. It was fun. <laughs> flying was with her airplane. So when I say I know a little bit about small planes, I know a little bit about small planes. I think it was as close as I felt it was, but I know that the instructor was like, I have control and took it over. So that, that, that was that. You should never be so close to a sign that the instructor says I'm taking over. I don't care. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. <laughs> Back, Back to, to your story. Yeah, Juliana. <laughs> yeah. I got into a plane with someone that's flying pretty much like you used to. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. The crew sees that there's a storm ahead, but because they're under pressure, it's the holidays, they have a deadline that they have to follow, they decide they're going to just fly right through that. They probably all wanted to get home to their family and friends for the, for the holidays too, right? So they're, they fly through the storm. But it's bad. It's probably worse than they expected to be. And the plane's shaking and 
the overhead bins popped open and luggage and Christmas presents and probably fruitcakes go flying everywhere. And Juliana was sitting at the window seat at the back of the plane. What have I told you about the back of the plane? Always sit there. Always sit behind the wing because if you're going to crash, you are more likely to live if you at the back of the plane than at the front. How come then every time we go on a flight, you book me at the front and then you go sit in the back? <laughs> just, just, I'm just putting this all together. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so anyways, she's watching out the window when she sees a lightning bolt strike the plane's wing and people are screaming and crying. And her mother looks at Juliana and she says very evenly, now it's all over. And these are the last words she ever hears from her mother. It's very sad. She can't talk again after this? No. Oh. <laughs> this is Tarzan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> her mother is thrown from her seat and Juliana is belted into her bench and she is sucked out of the plane because the plane has broken into two midair. Um, they, are st they say that this is the most deadly lightning strike known to a plane to this day. So she is 10,000 feet. Okay. That's three over three kilometers in the air strapped to her seat okay for our american friends that's like two miles and suddenly it's quiet because all she can hear is the whistling of the wind that's the only noise and she and she's above the trees and from above the trees she says they look like little heads of broccoli and it's kind of peaceful up there while she's falling um and on her descent she loses consciousness probably because the air pressure i imagine i don't really i could be the scare i don't know i'm making shit up stop making stuff up <laughs> You're supposed to be the one that researches <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, so she wakes up the next morning underneath her bench, but everything's a blur. And she knows she must have woken up at, already at some point because her seatbelt's been unbuckled, but she can't remember. She, she has a concussion. And she looks around, and the first thought is, I've survived a plane crash. Like, wow. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. And experts believe that the reason that she was able to survive is for a few reasons. Let me guess. Because she passed out, her body went relaxed, so it absorbed the impact properly. No, but that might be part of it. Really. It's like a drunk person, right? But that's yes. not, that wasn't one of the reasons they said. They said, firstly, her bench was spinning on the way down. So she's the only person on this bench, and it's kind of like spinning, spinning. And it's so like a maple key falling from a tree. So it's slowing down her descent a little bit. Secondly, she's falling into the rainforest before we started chopping them all down, probably. And she hits a lot of canopy and the branches on her way. So that slows her down a little bit. And then lastly, she lands in an area that's very lush or like squishy. And that would have taken some of the impact. So she survives a three kilometer fall. Did you know that when you're descending out of something that your body mass actually gets heavier and heavier as you fall? So by, if you fall from 10,000 feet right. and you're falling, by the time you hit the ground, your brain would almost weigh an equivalent of 10 tons. No. And that's why when you hit the ground, your blood cells and everything like that explode because your body mass gets so much bigger as you're going down and hitting the ground. Wow. That's friggin' crazy. Yeah. Did you know that you could drop a squirrel from outer space? You could drop a squirrel as I far know. up as you could, and it would live because squirrels can survive terminal velocity. Yes, that's because they're built that way. We only ever can't. And I don't think if you drop one from space, it would last. It would fry. It would probably starve to death on its way down. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
or burn up in the atmosphere or something like that. But yes, I, I know it from the top of the tree. Right, yes, right, yes, whatever. yes, I Anyways, get it. A squirrel will live. They can also so. do extremely quick math in their head. Right. But aren't you more impressed about the other stuff I know? I'm very impressed by that. And I, is that because of your Darwin story? Did you know that? Continue on with your story. Oh, I might have hit something there. Okay. So she takes stock of her body for injuries and discovers that her collarbone is badly broken. So she can feel like it's overlapping itself under her skin. It's not punctured through her skin, but it's, she can feel that it's definitely broken. And she has a large gash on her arm and on her leg, and her right eye is swollen shut, and she can't see out of it. But to make matters worse, she's nearsighted, and she's lost her glasses on the crash. So the eye that she can see out of, she can't see very well. She's only wearing a mini dress. Like, it was popular back then, right? And she's lost one of her sandals. So she has one sandal and a mini dress, and she's wearing a watch that at this point is still working. It does crap out on her at some point, but right now it's still working. So she knows that it's 9 a.m. Christmas Day. She's been blacked out for an entire afternoon and night. And the first thing that she does is start calling for her mom, which is heartbreaking because she figures that since they were sitting close together on the plane, they were probably landing fairly close to each other, but she can't find her mom. She can't find anybody. She's there alone. She's there with her bench and her, and that's it. Um, in the middle of the rain, the Amazon rainforest and it's rainy season in the rainforest. So she's, soaked to the bone and she's covered in mud because it's been raining on her for the entire time that she's been blacked out but she stops and she listens and she is this the child of biologists and she recognizes all the sounds of the wildlife around her and she figures that she must be in the same area as panguana in fact she was only 30 miles away and she's maybe other people I would probably be a little bit scared if I landed in the middle of the Amazon and you don't know what's all around you, around her. Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> maybe? Did you just say maybe people would be? Yeah. I think I would just be checking my pants to see if it was actually mud. Right. But she knows her like surroundings. because Gorillas? She, uh, no, not gorillas in the Amazon, honey. What? They monkeys? Something. Monkeys. Yeah, monkeys. Well, monkeys something that can eat you. <laughs> I thought gorillas were in the Amazon. No, where are they? I don't know. They're not in the Amazon. They're like over the ocean somewhere over there. There's no gorillas in, down that way? Now I have to Google it. Well, now I'm Googling something while you're reading. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> no, gorillas are like, I don't know. Don't worry about it. Tell your story. I'm on it. <laughs> okay. Um. So she's not scared of her surroundings. She knows them. But what she did feel was a boundless sense of abandonment. And she starts looking for survivor, survivors. And on the fourth day, she recognizes the sound of a king vulture. See all the good things that being a birder can do for you. And she knows that these birds land where there's lots of carrion. And she figures that there must be, they must have found bodies from the crash. So she follows their call and finds a bench with three people attached. The bench landed headfirst. Oh, you've got the answer. No, sorry. The bench landed headfirst, and the victims were lodged so deeply into the ground that all she could see was their feet. And she saw that two of the victims were men and one's a woman, and she is completely terrified at this point that the woman is her mother. So she grabs a stick, and she starts poking at the woman's, the woman's feet until the shoe comes off. And then she can see that the woman's 
toenails are painted and her mother would never have painted her toenails so she knows it's not her okay so her father had taught her when she was younger that she if she ever got lost in the wilderness to look for water because a small stream would lead to a bigger and a bigger and it eventually lead you to civilization because civilization always congregates around waterways right do you know what else waterway brings what's that animals and do you know what animals are not in peru <laughs> gorillas <laughs> correct but i have to read this one okay so you know what the number one <laughs> wildlife in peru is andean cock of the rock what the fuck is that i don't know but i just love the name of it it's, it gotta be a bird right i don't know it's a n d it's it's felt like a n d e a n so andin or yeah andean and it's called andean cock of the rock andean condor Oh, that's a bird. That's a vulture. Yeah, I got the condor part. Yeah. Jaguar, Humboldt penguin, Amazon river dolphins. Oh, they come in later. And lemas and alpacas. Don't tell me what's coming in later. Well, they don't really. You'll see. Does she stand on top of them, ride them in like Aquaman? No, but that would be cool. Okay. okay. Anyways, no gorillas. I apologize. You are right. correct. Civilization. But they have the cock of the rock. <laughs> Civilization. Leading you to water, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the lesson would very likely save her life. She found a trickle of water that she followed to a bigger stream and a bigger, and then a finally led her to the Amazon River. And while she was walking, she'd pick up her one sandal, and she'd throw it ahead of her, then walk to it and pick it up and do it all over again. Every single step she took, she was throwing her sandal ahead of her. Do you know why? To see if there's any snakes or yes. rats or anything in the ground because yes. they would grab it? Snakes, for sure. Not to grab it, to scare them. Poisonous snakes camouflage themselves on the jungle floor, and had she stepped on one, it would be deadly. So at the crash site, before she left, Juliana was able to find a bag of candy because it was the rainy season in the jungle. There's no fruit growing to eat. She had no way of hunting or fishing, and she had no knife to cut away at vegetation. And even if she could, uh, the vegetation, she wasn't sure what would be poisonous and what wouldn't. There's lots of poisonous stuff in the Amazon. I'm sure you know that. So she ate <laughs> a couple of candies every day, and that was her only source of food. She could hear her search and rescue. She could hear search and rescue planes flying overhead trying to find the plane crash, obviously, but she couldn't, she looked up into the sky and she couldn't see them because the canopy was so thick. So vice versa, they obviously couldn't see her on the forest floor. Maybe she should have had your friend Leah there to build a fire full of smoke. Lots of smoke, but she couldn't even, that was the problem. She couldn't even start a fire because everything was wet. And it's- Well, and if Leah can't start a fire when it's dry, she's never gonna get it when it's (laughs) wet. Eventually, the plane stopped searching and crushed Juliana's spirit a little bit. Um, The entire time that she spent in the rainforest, she was tormented by uh, rain and bugs, especially mosquitoes. They wouldn't even let her sleep at night. She couldn't sleep. She'd get little bits of fitful sleep. Oh, does she get malaria? No. Oh. No, not that I know of. Um, But the bugs were relentlessly biting at her. She constantly had flies clinging to her face and flies laid eggs in the wound in her arm. So she saw the fly eggs and she tried to squeeze them out, but she couldn't get rid of them. So you know what happens with fly eggs. Yeah, you get maggots. Why is every one of your stories got maggots (laughs) in human bodies? She eventually had maggots burrowing into her skin and it caused her tremendous pain. They were eating her flesh. She was worried that she was going to lose her arm. 
And when she get to, she finally did get to the river, she spent most of her time in the river. She knew that there were crocodiles in the river, but they didn't scare her because she was raised there. And she knew that crocodiles rarely go after a human. But she'd stick to the middle of the river, so she'd often be swimming because she knew that stingrays were much more dangerous because they stay near the edges where it's shallower. But if you actually accidentally stand on one, you'd be speared by the barb on its tail. Steve Irwin, right? <laughs> yes, crocodile hunter. Yeah, that's another sad story. Yes, it is. So she spent days wading or swimming in the river, and she'd often come across trees blocking the way, and she'd have to use all of her energy to pull herself up and over them. And it was disheartening because she figured if the river was used by people often, the trees wouldn't be there. So she's not even sure that she's on in the right direction because there's so many trees blocking the way. And she's so hungry, right? She's starving. So at one point she sees some frogs that she decides she's gonna try to catch and eat, but she doesn't have enough energy to catch them. She's not fast enough. And it's a good thing. Poisonous. She later discovers that those frogs were poisonous and they would have killed her. Everything in the jungle wants to eat you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so on her ninth day, ninth day after her three kilometer crash, I still can't get over that. Um, she decides she gets just gets over one of those trees and she's exhausted and she decides to have a nap on the riverbank. And when she awakes, she gets back in the river, she goes around the corner and she finds a boat. And at this point she thinks she's hallucinating. It's, it wouldn't be the first time on her trek. She has hallucinated seeing rooftops. She's smelled food. Like it's, she's been hallucinating on her way. So she was, she wasn't actually sure it was a boat until she got up to it and put her hands on it. And then she got like this a rush of adrenaline and she suddenly has some more energy because there's actual civilization. There's a boat. She knew she needed to get out of there and she wanted to use the boat, but she didn't want to take the boat even after all of this without permission. So she sees a trail going up into the forest nearby and she follows it and finds a small shelter. There's nobody there, but there's a can of gasoline. Julia, Juliana remembers watching her father treat his dog with similar injuries to her with gasoline. So she pours a little bit of the gas on her wound with the, with the magnet, magnets, maggots and it works. She gets 30 of the maggots out of her skin. Oh. Yeah. Rescuers would later get another 50 out. Okay. Yep. Yeah. We got it. She had maggots. Why do you yeah. have to keep bringing it up? <laughs> that night, she decides to sleep in the shelter, but finds the ground to be too hard, probably because she's like hurt, right? So she goes back. Down well, I'm probably all bony, not much muscle, right? no cushion. Yeah. So she goes back down to the river and sleeps on the sand. And when she gets up the next morning, she goes back up to the shelter and she's waiting there. And then until finally she hears voices and three men come out of the woods and they're startled by Juliana because local legend tells of water goddesses that are part water dolphin, right? That's what we were talking about and, yep. part, and part white skinned blonde woman. So they think that she's one of these goddesses. So they're all a flutter or whatever. And they're supposed to be blonde and she is blonde. Luckily, Juliana spoke Spanish and she was able to explain to the men that she had survived the Lanza plane crash. So they gave her food and she got her first real good sleep the whole time since she's been there. And the next morning, they took her on a seven hour trek downstream where a local pilot airlifted her to a hospital in 
Pucalpa, Peru. Oh, nice. Yeah. Put her back on a plane. That's where she wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's funny. <laughs> so her dad's waiting here for her at the hospital, and it's this heart-wrenching reunion where her and her father could barely speak. Oh, yeah, he's probably pissed, right? She didn't make it for Christmas. <laughs> um, rescuers are able to use information that they get from Juliana to find the area of the crash. So they all go out there looking for survivors, but sadly, there are none. She's the only one, eh? She's the only one. Wow. On January 12th, they found the body of her mother, and she was devastated to find out that her mother, along with a few other, had actually survived the crash. But they were they had succumbed to their injuries before rescuers were able to find them. So it turns out that 91 people on that flight died, including 85 passengers and six crew members. Yeah, she's the sole survivor. Juliana, to this day, suffers from survivor's guilt, wondering if she had been able to find her mother, if she had been able to help her. But actually, none of the survivors left the crash site. They were all just hoping to stay put and be rescued. So had Juliana found them, she likely would have waited too. And that probably would have led to her death. She became known as the Miracle Girl and was hounded by the Peruvian media. She received hundreds of letters from people she had never met before. Some of the letters were simply addressed, Juliana, Peru. But somehow they still managed to find her way, their way to her. Juliana and her father returned to Germany, where she followed in her parents' footsteps and studied biology at the University of Kiel, where she graduated in 1980. She returned to Peru, where she studied bats and completed her thesis. Ooh, I like bats. <laughs> ecological study of a bat colony in the tropical rainforest of Peru in 1987. In 1998, a film was made of Juliana's survival story called... Batman. <laughs> We're still on bats. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, carry on. <laughs> okay, the film was called... Batman. No. <laughs> Wings of Hope. Wow, close. <laughs> it was directed by Werner Herzog. Uh, in, in the film, Juliana revisited the crash site for, for the film. They flew her in by helicopter where she recounted... Again, let's put her in a helicopter. I don't think she stopped flying ever. Well, <laughs> like it's, I know. I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> she recounted the harrowing details to Mr. Herzog amid the plane's still scattered remains. So they were still there like a lot of years later. But interestingly enough, Herzog was supposed to be on that flight that day, but made a last minute change of plans and never boarded the flight. So yeah, that's like one of those little tiny coincidences of life. Yeah. It's or it's called, what's that movie called? Where you change because you've seen something. Butterfly. No, you change because you've seen something and death comes trying to oh, kill you later. Yeah, what is that? Fatal uh, Fatal Destination? Final Destination. Final Destination. Yes. yes. Yeah, and then she got in a helicopter with him. Well, he would. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from him. <laughs> 50 years later, Juliana is still alive. I think she's still working, actually. Um, she's able to look back at her life as having purpose and meaning. Her works in Peru have been very beneficial to the rainforest. And she says, just to have helped people and to have done something for nature means it was good that I was allowed to survive. And for that, I am so grateful. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's the story of Juliana Kopke. 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 Yeah. Yes. 
Wow, that's a good story. So, how many people die in plane crashes? Did you do any facts checking? I think it's still one of the safest ways to travel, is it not? But it's, I know it's, it's safer than traveling by car. I do know that. Especially if you're driving. And we've already heard of surviving. Ah, she didn't even catch that, people. I, I did hear that. But we've already heard of people surviving boats sinking, right? So yep. every transportation has its dangers. That's right. So that's the end of your story. That's all you got? That's all I got. All right. I guess that means it's my turn. It sure is. Yay. <laughs> now the fun begins, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so as you have figured out, we are a podcast done in the Great White North. I thought I would do an all-Canadian Darwin this time. Oh, Canada. That's right. Now sing it in French. Oh, Canada. <laughs> there you go. Um, as most of you have learned, uh, stupid knows no race or borders. Uh, it's everywhere. So yes. yeah. you can only usually muffle it with uh, duct tape, but even then that doesn't last for very long. So... <laughs> I feel like I've been picking on America a lot. I've been doing a lot of Florida, South Carolina. Yeah. I think it's just because there's a bigger population and they have more, you know, I mean, alligators, yeah. diverse things. And it's not just that the people are. So anyways, whatever. I decided I should go with Canada this time just because it's home. And uh, so. And to prove that we can be stupid too. Oh, we can be very stupid. If yeah. this podcast doesn't prove how stupid <laughs> we can be, then, then there's some big stuff up there. So now. You and I have this debate all the time okay. about schools. Right. And I've been saying for a long time that our education is in serious trouble. It, I, yeah. I say that teachers are not paid enough. I say that class sizes are too big. Um, there's a lot of things. I don't even think they teach stuff that kids need to survive nowadays. Like, they no. don't teach a lot of like, – I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just the, the little – narrow-minded area that I live in, but I don't see them teaching taxes, economics. I don't see them doing budgeting. I don't see them showing real-life rent and, and all that right. stuff and things that you have to pay real and prepare for. Real-life stuff that you're going to actually Yeah, right? Like, like, instead of whatever the... Well, let's put it this way. Our daughter took a course on how to learn how to play guitar. That was a credit. Yeah, that's true. Like that's, that's, that's there a, are people that become rock stars with being, yeah but if they're going to be a rock star they don't take a credit in school for it they they've been doing it for years yes. or they go out and play it or they pick it up and they're a yeah. prodigy and they can play this stuff right i don't you know and i'm glad i think it's great that it experiences but what i'm saying is the meat and potatoes of our school system should have a little bit more i don't know like you know what i mean like the english and the math and all that stuff's great we, the geography but a lot of nonsense that we're never going to use for sure uh, right and i mean and I, I i like the fact that grade nine and ten up here they they kind of they force you to take some stuff that you know broadens your horizon but i think even trades like our trades like why don't they have stuff set up for kids to get into trades yeah, right trades like it should be much more prominent in school so absolutely anyways and another thing i always say is that university is great but it doesn't make you smart a lot of times you have to go to university and then you got to go back to college anyways i think university is a great theory right but you have to go on there and just because you can read and take that and dictate it back onto a paper does not make you smart it makes right. you book smart true there are many different ways of learning. Right. And I'm about to prove to you book smart. Okay. I want to hear. So after my little rant on all that, uh, you guys can email us at <laughs> Dead or Survive Podcast at Gmail. Uh, if you'd like to argue against me or just put in your two cents, it's up and running. Okay. So Johnny was having a few friends over from university at his apartment. Okay. Uh, they were having a great time. They're partying and all that stuff. And somewhere, you know, 
kids being kids, they decided they were going to have this, uh, this silly little game of who can spit farther. Okay. Uh, I know. I I don't know the the rules of the game. I know how. I mean, obviously Probably you have to just put whoever spit landed furthest. I guess. Now the problem is, which I didn't tell you right here in the beginning, is that they are on the eleventh floor. So how do you know who spit farther? Like, do you have binoculars out? Oh, checking the ground or? I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't get into how they found out or anything like that. They're drunk and it does it really matter? Yeah, probably They're just not. spitting off a balcony. <laughs> this point right so anyways uh johnny's two friends go first now johnny somewhere in his little mind says i'm an engineering student at university so i have to beat these guys because i should know how to engineer and, and make things go further and better at math and all this stuff okay right he's got some liquid knowledge going on right so he decides that he's got this all figured out apparently in his head. And so what he does is he backs up away from the, the railing, backs back into the apartment. He doesn't jump over the balcony. He runs at the balcony. But what Johnny doesn't have is athleticism. So he doesn't stop. No. He runs into the railing, flips over it, and falls 11 oh, stories to his story. death. Can you imagine like the, his friends just watching as their friend plummeted to their all my stories are horrible. Nobody yeah. survives. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh. I get it. I'm very dark. That one hits a little too close to home, I think. <laughs> Why? You have somebody fall off a railing? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> See, I did not know that. Anyways, so yeah, so he didn't stop, went right over the uh, railing and uh, flipped onto the floor. Now, do you want some uh, fact to facts? Because I, I did want, some facts. I do want some facts. Annually, 420,000. There goes the wine. You can no. hear it right in the microwave. <laughs> Look at that, right in the microphone. I said microwave, <laughs> pouring. You guys know I'm not lying now. She didn't even think about it. She's not even listening to my story. I'm totally listening to your story. I didn't think about it. You got me on that. I apologize for the sound effects. There goes my story now. No, okay. Right facts. in the middle. Facts. I already gave facts. You were pouring. 420,000 people die from falling. Now, here's the thing. I couldn't find just falling out of buildings or falling out of construction site or anything like that. They didn't right. break it down anywhere. So these include every fall. So if they were falling from a building, falling in a shower. Falling and breaking your hip. Yeah, any of that, right? So any, well, these are uh, actual deaths, 420,000 oh, okay. deaths. Right. So it's not just breaking a hip or anything like that. But do you know what I found out? I did find that a lot of children are still falling out of apartment buildings. That's surprising to me. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was in the hundreds. Have you seen, like in the 19, I want to say 70s, maybe earlier, maybe 50s. Those cages the that you cages, said? Yes. They put kids in cages and hang them out the window. So um, another interesting fact I heard about, I don't know I'm, I don't know if everybody's heard of him or not, but Eric Clapton. Right, yeah. Musician. Terrible story, terrible. Yeah, his son uh, went out of a window, 53rd floor of a New York uh, apartment yeah, building. So, floor, yeah. So um, now Clapton, did you know he wrote a song about it? Tears, uh, yep, tears in heaven. Yeah, tears in heaven. Tears in heaven. So if you haven't heard that, go look it up. It's a pretty emotional song and stuff. Yeah. And when you know the backstory behind it, but yeah, I didn't know his son did that. So it was uh, that was in the nineties, nineteen ninety one or something. Yeah, that so was big. I know it's a. 
I mean, 90s, I always think of 90s were just like yesterday. I know it was right. years ago, but still, you'd think the safety stuff had yeah. come up farther and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, anyways, be careful out there if you're up in a building or whatever. Yeah. And if you're watch playing, your uh, yeah, watch your children for sure. And if you're playing spit games, first of all, if you know what the spit game is, send me the rules. I, I can spit pretty good. <laughs> um, There's an elevator game, too, that's supposed to take you to another dimension or something. Yeah, that's you, a whole other story. Yeah, we're not going to get into that that's a whole that's a leave that one for the the, the scary podcasts okay, out yeah, there yeah. okay uh so now this next one is one that i feel needs to be told now uh this also comes with a warning because of the winter season coming up uh this is also right back to my friend jeff robillard so this is what i told you this guys at the, the beginning this is jeff's this is jeff's uh make sure you're listening uh story so yeah uh so winter coming up doing all this stuff so with the snow falling in the winter about to cover all of canada i thought we would tell a story about his uh about johnny and his snowmobile oh that's why jeff does like his snowmobile yes he does so uh johnny and his friend finally got enough snow out so they could get their snowmobiles out which doesn't happen around here very often anymore no and it doesn't really say where i, I did say ontario but i don't it's know if it was probably, northern ontario northern. or something but it was yeah. saying they finally got some so i don't know right uh but yeah so anyways they were able to get their snowmobiles out and like all boys when they get their toys out i mean i ride a motorcycle so i mean when we get out we like to race each other every once right. in a while go down yes. and you see yeah, it and i get terrified on the back yeah yeah happens. yeah well you know you get your own <laughs> i've offered several times to purchase you one and you could ride it any way you want honey but like i've said before i enjoy having a drink and watching the scenery. <laughs> yes so i guess you have to suffer <laughs> so anyways so they're out um so yeah so um yeah so they get them out they're going to do some racing and stuff like that in canada the snowmobiling is very big so a lot of the trails have been groomed uh some farmers let you go across their fields some don't all that stuff they have these tiny little stop signs they're so cute <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so when they're out there so then doing all this stuff um they can get competitive and stuff like that, especially with some of the new machines that are getting out there and stuff like that. I mean, there's some on there. You can go and see videos where these things are skipping across open water right, and stuff, yeah. right? So the boys are out playing and they're uh, they're racing and uh, seeing who wins the race. And then they're they're, go, they're going soon go through the woods the fastest and then you know not hit the trees or anything like that. Uh, who can jump the highest? And they just kept going on. So somewhere along the way, it must came to a tie. Okay. So they've decided now what they're going to do is play chicken. Oh, no. If you haven't played chicken before, there's a really good scene in Footloose. If you haven't played chicken before, you're likely a woman. Okay, you know what? That's very interesting. <laughs> and it comes up at the end of my story, and you're going to love it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Footloose is a, has got a really famous one on there where they're doing the tractors. They come at each other. Right. Kevin yes. Bacon can't get off. So that's basically what it is. You run the machines at each other. First one to swerve is the chicken. The other one wins. So they uh, they line their, their their snowmobiles up and they take off and neither one of them swerved. neither one of them swerved. They both died. <sighs> so I mean, at the end of it, they both won a Darwin Award. They, they totally <laughs> won. They both won gold. Yep, they both they, won gold. They can stand on the podium together. You got it. Damn. So that's terrible. It oh my is. God. So again, with uh in all seriousness with snowmobiling and, and stuff coming up, I did some statistics again. So Statistics Canada finds an average of seventy-three Canadians die in snowmobile accidents a year. For blank chicken. 
no, not from plain chicken. <laughs> Uh, some of the main factors are the same as driving a car. So alcohol, drugs, and excessive speed. And another big one is the night riding they do because they go out and they try to maximize the night riding and stuff. Oh, and they don't see um, uh, immovable objects or, or stationary objects. So that's when they run into trees or they run into bridges. Or there's actually been cases up here where people gone through, um, farmers have like the, the electric fences out oh, and they've oh, actually yeah. decapitated yeah. themselves. Just, so Yeah. Is that, I mean, we've all heard that story. I wonder if it's like an old wives tale or if it's true. No, it's true. It's absolutely 100% oh, true. It's happened. Yeah, that's terrible. So anyways, uh, so right here, I even put in here, I even put in my notes, I'm giving this next info only to humor my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Nine in 10 snowmobile deaths recorded from 2013-2019 involve men. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I'm actually surprised that one in 10 is a woman, really. That's, that's the part that surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, whatever. Twenty <laughs> um, percent uh, of the fis uh, fatalities uh, involve multiple machines. So only only twenty percent are actually two machines colliding. The other uh, were uh, single machines, and most of those are from hitting a stationary object. So cue the trees, right? I think most so, Canadians know of somebody, or you know, like third or fourth degree that know somebody that have died in a snowmobile accident. It's yeah, it's weird. I don't know anybody that's died in a snowmobile accident, but Jeff, who we've been talking about for a good chunk of this uh, yeah. podcast off and on, he actually uh, came into work after he got his, I mean, he was so, I think he just got the snowmobile. He'll probably text me the whole story later, but um, I think he just got the snowmobile or whatever, and he was going out on it, and he actually ran into it, and he fell off and hit the tree, and I think he cracked all his ribs and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, he met a tree, so, Damn. yeah, but he was able to walk away, one of the lucky ones and yeah, stuff like that, and all that stuff but uh yeah so just remember guys and again like i said i drive motorcycles it's also another you know dangerous thing if you don't keep your head on a swivel and watching around so if you are out riding this season it please make sure you yeah make sure you are safe make sure you got a little first aid kit with you some extra gas make sure your cell phone's yeah. all charged up all that stuff it's a uh, great fun and a lot of fun same with riding a motorcycle and i uh and no playing chicken and i encourage everybody to go out and uh, enjoy <laughs> their stuff but be safe at it because i want you to come back and listen to my podcast and uh yeah we need our listeners yeah so yeah we need all our listeners like we're not like i, I really i'm just being greedy here i need <laughs> listeners so we're actually doing fantastic um actually we're at over 250 plus listeners right now so uh cheryl and i've decided if we can hit a thousand listeners by april uh may at the latest and we'll continue the podcast and if everybody's still listening and having fun with it if we don't hit that number we'll see where we're at and where we'll go so yeah. please share it with all your friends let us know if you're listening and or, please uh, rate us your stories cheryl really wants a story i really want to read a listener's story i really want <laughs> that's them. the only thing that's on her bucket list <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you have a listener story again we already said it once but please may email us at debtor survive podcast uh, at gmail.com gmail uh, we have a facebook page we have uh, instagram where cheryl loads up uh, different pictures depending on the stories and stuff so you can follow along see what's going on there and uh, I am going to stay away from winter activities. I'm going to sit in our hot tub and just wait for the sun to come back out. Hibernate. Yes. <laughs> so, anyways, unless, is there any chance we can get a snowmobile? No. Okay, so I'm going to sit in the hot tub. <laughs> well, now for the part of the podcast you are all waiting for. Okay, I'm waiting for it. This is where I beg everybody to listen. Please listen. 
Oh no, this is where I tell the, the, the dad joke, this right? Is the dad joke. <laughs> We've already this begged everybody, moment, right? Moment, dad joke moment. And we already begged everybody. Yes, we have. Did I beg everybody? Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, email. Listen, share it on your Facebook. Yeah. Tell everybody Subscribe. about it. <laughs> I'm pretty good at begging. It must be yeah. a man thing too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here you go. This is how we end her. Why can you not trust a snowman and or snow woman or and or snow people? Mm. I have no good answer. Because they're all real flakes. Oh, oh dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> not your best. Not my best? <laughs> no. But it fits with the snow. It does fit with the snow. Yes, you, you do have that. <laughs> okay, what do you call what do you call it when you mix a vampire with a snowman? What do you get? I have no idea. Frostbite. Oh, that was pretty good. Uh, that was good? Okay, we'll end with that one then. <laughs> Again, everybody, thanks for listening. This is episode six. Yep. Bye. Bye.